I'll preface. Um, we started this morning with a bang, <laughs> I would say, uh, discussing um, God's sovereign election, salvation. That's a, you, that's a topic you see Christians disagree about. Um, and today we're going to go even more hot, caliente. Um, was that good Spanish? Okay. <laughs> um, I'm going to talk about an issue that's not really discussed in the church a lot, and that's race, racism, prejudice. We're going to discuss the issue that's happening in the world today. Um, and so um, just kind of want to give you a heads up to that. This has been a, a challenge for me this week in trying to even prepare for this because it's something that I really, quite frankly, don't want to do. I'd rather just talk about the fluffy, happy topics that we all agree on versus getting down to the weeds that may push people the wrong way. But I believe that um, as Christians, we have a response to what's happening in the world. Um, so that's why I believe something must be said to the body of Christ about what the Bible has to say about what we're dealing with. So ultimately, that's what it is. It's looking at what's happening in the world from the scripture standpoint and our responsibility as believers and how we ought to respond with the, the unrest that's happening. So um, that's what we'll do today. So today will be more of a topical. There's no main text. If any main text, it would be Romans uh, chapter 3, verse 10 through 18. But um, there's really no main text. We'll kind of go different places. And what's, what's making this difficult for me is because obviously I'm African-American, I'm a black man. And what I will share is just some of my own personal experiences. And that's difficult because you're opening yourself up. You're bearing some of your pearls, if you will, and you're casting them out and you don't know how they'll be received. Will they be dismissed or will they be taken seriously? Um, but something Sister Debbie said when she was at the end of her prayer, she's like, thank you, Lord, that I can just be myself with my church family. And so um, as some of you guys know, some of my history, I wasn't always comfortable being myself here. As you guys know, from just preaching styles and all of that but I've learned to just open up more and I feel much more comfortable you know more than I than I did when I initially started so just kind of giving that heads up here so let's pray and then we'll get started Heavenly Father Lord I thank you because you are just God you are good Lord and God, I pray for your strength, Lord, as we go into this weighty topic that's happening in the world, that's on people's lips. Oh God, give us wisdom in it. Show us how we ought to respond, what our actions should be with the discussions that are taking place concerning racism and injustice and inequality and all the things that are being discussed right now. Lord, help us look at it from your eyes not from the world's perspective, Lord God. So I pray that you grant wisdom on today, Lord, as we look at texts um, through antidote and stories, God, please come alive, Lord, to not just my heart more, but to the hearers, Lord, that you will ultimately be glorified in the things that's discussed today. Glorify your name, God, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let me see how... So, as we all know right now, we are um, 
in a major, as I would say, a major cultural or historical moment in our country right now. I would say um, yesterday I was watching the news and uh, there was worldwide protests in support of Black Lives Matter, or Black Lives, equality and justice, worldwide protests. I mean, I was watching, they were just going to all the different countries. It was in Asia, there was protests. Um, in the UK, uh, they're protesting black lives. And um, in Germany, they were protesting uh, black lives and standing in solidarity. Um, in New Zealand, they were doing the same thing. In Ireland, they were protesting same thing. And I'm just floored. I'm like, whoa, this is really something. We are in a major historical cultural moment, not just in the U.S., but in the world right now, where all of this attention is being drawn towards the black community, not just in the U.S., but all throughout the world. And I'm just like, quite frankly, I thought I would never see something like this. Just, I'm just being, some of this stuff, I'm going to just speak frankly. I'll let you know when I'm interjecting my personal thoughts. Okay. Um, and so since we are in this moment, I just kind of want to help us to navigate the issue and provide some guidance, not only as your brother in Christ, but as a member of the black community. So on today, I want to show you the, um, the importance of race um, or the race and injustice discussion that's taking place here. Not the importance of race, but the importance of the race and injustice discussion um, that is happening right now that I'm so, 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 so glad that America and all the world is having um, and why it's, I believe that this is a product of God's grace and mercy. Um, lastly, I want to touch on what should be the Church of Jesus Christ's thoughts and response to this phenomenon. Um, uh, and I also want to make us aware of some of the, the pitfalls that are out there surrounding this issue. So those are essentially what I want to get at. Showing why this is an important discussion to be having in America and in the world um, that I'm happy that we're having. Showing why I believe this is a work of God's grace and mercy. And touching on the church's thoughts and response in the midst of this phenomenon and some of the pitfalls that we should be watching out for. And then later at the end, if we want to have a, a brief discussion, I know this is a major topic to say brief discussion, but just comments, please do that. And let me throw this, throw this thought out there. This is going to sound really strange and weird, but I want to say this last week. But I know that some of you all that you don't have many interactions with the black community or many friends or people. I know some of you do. And I, I'm thankful that some of you have had conversations with me where you just ask questions like you just didn't know. And I appreciate that. You, you've been open and asking those questions. And so I, wanna, I want you all to know I'm, I'm here for that. <laughs> um, if things you don't get, you say, man, I just don't want to sound stupid. I don't understand this and that. Please, I'm your brother in Christ. That's, I believe that's part of the reason that God even has me a part of the body, a uh, multi-ethnic, multi-racial body. So, um, so please feel free to do that. Not now I'm doing the preaching, but, um, you know, anytime after. So, so again, right now in the world, there's this worldwide discussion on racism um, and justice. And this discussion is largely centered on the historic and systematic 
are historic and systematic racism and injustice endured by the black community. So that's where this is really centered at right now. And when I say historic or when I say systematic racism or injustice, we're not talking about individual isolated incidents, but racism or injustice in systems such as the criminal justice system or healthcare system or banking system. For example, when President Trump signed the First Step Act to reform the criminal justice system, he was doing it to uh, provide comfort and to kind of undo a lot of the unjustly and disproportionate harm that the criminal justice system has done to the black community. So I, I applaud him for that. So that's when we say system, we're talking about systematic versus isolated um, incidents. So, so this, this injustice, as, as we said, historic, it's something that has happened throughout black culture or black history, which is why when you see black people, African-Americans protesting in the streets, it's not just about one incident. Um, it's not just about George Floyd. And now I'm injecting my personal thoughts. Just wanted to let you know. Um, this is one of the biggest disconnects that I'm seeing in the discussion between black and white, that one group sees it as racism and injustice um, as an isolated incident, and one group is seeing a historical generational view of it. And so they're looking at it from that standpoint. So they're looking at all of the racism and injustice, particularly with policing, that has happened over generations, over their lifetime, <coughs> over a history. So again, one is looking at isolated incidents, and the other is looking at generation from what their ancestors have endured, um, what their grandparents have endured, and what they have personally experience and I want to kind of give you some of my experience um, as a black man in America um, and this is where stuff that I really don't just like to discuss because it's so out there but um, many of the issues that are being raised right now in by the black community that the protesters are talking about from police brutality uh, to uh, inequities in, in society and a criminal justice system I resonate with um, some of these things uh, I, I, I've experienced the, the the acronym of driving while black sort of speak I, I know that very well I've from driving many times and somehow I'm always fitting the description of a criminal just randomly driving and getting pulled over and, and fitting the description um, so so I get that or I think about some of my experience in, in high school when, um, I remember renting a tux for my prom and I'm waiting for my grandmother to pick me up while I'm holding my tux and, and a white police officer just comes up to me and drops my tux and this is in downtown Oakland, handcuffs me, downtown Oakland traffic time, stops traffic and has me paraded around in the streets because I'm fitting the description and he wants to see, I guess they had a person who had had a crime done to them around somewhere he didn't want me to see who this person was so he just had me handcuffed walking around in the middle of the street of downtown Oakland for all to see and that was one of the most humiliating things ever um, th that I've experienced in, in dealing with the police um, I have other things but I'm not even going to go in there um, from just constantly walking in stores and always being followed always being a suspect um, even right now because of the things that I've experienced 
as an adult, when I work, walk in certain stores, for you, you may just walk in, I'm consciously thinking of certain things that I'm doing. I'm thinking about my actions before I even get to the door in certain communities of the store because of always being followed around, of always being accused um, of, of having people look at you this way. So as an adult, when I go to certain places, I'm looking around. I, I'm, I'm conscious of how I act. Make sure I'm, I'm gonna pay at the register. I'm not gonna put stuff around because I've been accused a lot. And so those are things that still affect me. And so I get some of the anger and the frustration that is happening amongst the people. Or when I was a teenager, I was egged by skinheads. I'm walking on Madison, or was that Greenback? I'm walking on Madison and Greenback. Skinheads, literally bald skinheads, out of their car, start whamming me with eggs, calling me nigger, nigger, all of this. I'm a kid, just not even like, what is this going on? Um, being called by uh, white people, nigger lips, just, just all these different things. When people are complaining, they're not making this stuff up. Um, I was watching CBS and Gail King was doing an interview with an African-American guy and he has these YouTube videos that have gone viral and it's called um, Ask a Black Man. Just like I just said, you can ask me stuff because people just don't know because stat statistically most people, their friends are people of their same race and ethnicity. And so a lot of people of other colors, we just don't mingle like that. That's why this is a beautiful thing that we have here in Christ. Because most people, they just hang around people that look like them or from their other ethnicities. And so, but in, in, his, in, his, in his interview with Gail King, he's talking about how um, he brought out one incident, how when he's parking his car and if he sees a white lady walking down the street, he'll wait to let her pass and then get out the car because of the defensiveness that may happen. Oh, it's this black guy around, the clutching of the purse, people looking at you suspicious. And when he said, I'm, I'm like, yes, I know, because I, I do and I've done the same thing. When I'm walking around my old job in Midtown, I make sure I don't put my hood on because I know what a hood and a black dude looks like in a nicer neighborhood. So I'm taking my hood off because I don't want to be suspicious. These are just things you have to think about. Or if I'm walking down the street and if I see a lady with kids, guess what I do? I cross the side of the street because that defensiveness that you've seen when people see you around, the clutching, the, the scared look. And so that's things that black people do that you probably wouldn't even think that's the case. But that's why there, there's so much angst when people are, are crying or are protesting. Um, it's not from one thing, it's not just one little thing, but it's all of your life, it's all of history, it's, it's your grandparents, um, it's, it's what they've dealt with when it comes to the police and policing. Um, policing started, if you didn't know, I know this is historical, policing started with slave catching, the slave patrols. To, uh, to watch to make sure that slaves were in order. And from there you had black codes where black people after reconstruction and the civil rights, black people would literally get arrested for anything, vagrancy, they called black codes. If you were just standing around, you can get arrested and thrown into prison and then put into forced labor because of the 13th amendment. Those were called black codes or black laws. So you, you had that after, um, the policing of the slave patrols and then from there you had Jim Crow with separate but equal and then you had 
the fight for civil rights and, and equal housing. And so when you see incidents such as George Floyd's, for the black community, it's, it's like, again, it's like, really? That's why there's angst. That's why there's protest. And that's why there's anger. It's not one isolated incident. It's not, oh, this is just one bad cop. They're saying, no, this is our history. And the whole system needs to be re-examined. And so that is part of the reason why you see people just really frustrated. Um, it's not from one isolated incident. Now, by God's grace, and I would say mercy, the death of George Floyd has struck a nerve in America to where people outside of the black community, which has been the loudest voice for decades saying this is what's happening to us, are now championing and uh, the fair treatment of African-American and people of color in American society and around the world, particularly when it comes to policing. And this itself is an act of God's grace and mercy. Now, you will say, okay, why is this an act of God's grace or, mer or mercy, you may ask? Why should we as a church then be praising God for what we're seeing in America? Because people from all walks of life are now talking justice and equality. People from outside communities of color are now trying to use their influence and their money to highlight issues plaguing marginalized communities. We should be rejoicing in this because this aligns with God's will for the world. That's why we should be rejoicing. That's why this is a good thing. We know from scripture, for example, that God is not a respecter of persons, meaning that God does not show partiality. That's Acts 10.34. We know that. So we know if that's God's way, then we know that should be our way. And so if the world is trying to push towards that or even bumping up into that, we should keep that. We should encourage that. We should applaud that. We know that in the Old Testament, the same laws and treatments for an Israelite apply to an immigrant. This is Numbers 15.16, which reads, there will be one law and one ordinance for you and for the alien who sojourns with you. So we understand that from the Old Testament, God said that there's one law, there's one treatment of all people. We, we see in Acts, for example, Acts 6, 1 to 6, when, when partiality was trying to show its head in the church. Remember in, in, in Acts 6, they had an issue over the Greek-speaking Jews and the native Jews. Remember there was, there was a partiality happening there where the widows of the uh, Hellenistic Jews they weren't being served right. So what did the church do? The early church immediately stumped out that partiality. The early church immediately didn't allow that sin of partiality to fester. They stopped it out. They appointed deacons to go and serve the body. So we see that in the scriptures. Or, or we see in Galatians 2 where Paul is scolding Peter for, the, the, for treating the Gentiles as other amongst other Jews. Do you, do you remember that in Acts 2 where, where Paul is just scolding Peter because when these other Jews around, he didn't want to associate with Gentiles. So he's treating these Gentiles, brothers and sisters, as other. And, and one of my favorite lines in there in Galatians 2 is, is when, 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 uh, when Paul is dealing with Peter, he states this in Galatians 2.14. He says this to Peter, or, when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas. 
So when he recognized that the way that Peter was living by disassociating himself from these Gentiles who who he was treating as other, he says this was not in line with the truth of the gospel. So that means that the gospel is not just something that we just believe, but it is a belief that should impact the way that you live. And more than most, Peter should have known this, not because he was an apostle selected by God, but because he was an Israelite. See, the Israelites knew that part of the reason why they even needed a gospel or why they even needed a savior was because of their disobedience to to God in the area of loving their neighbor and treating all people in Israel fairly, which is why you find on the first pages of Isaiah, Verses like Isaiah 117, which, um, which states, learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the ruthless, reprove the ruthless. That's, that's the same thing as Ephesians 511, which calls us to expose the deeds of darkness. That is what it means to be a Christian, to be salt and light in this world. When we see something wrong, we reprove it, we correct it. We don't bury our heads in the sand as Christian. No, we, we reprove it. In that same verse in Isaiah, he he ends it off by saying, uh, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. So he's talking about justice and fairness, how that is something you must do. Or you can go to Micah 6, 8, where he says, the prophet says, And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God are the famous verse that everybody calls Martin Luther King, Amos 5, 24, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. Why is Micah, Isaiah, Amos, and all of the Old Testament prophets calling Israel to repentance in the area of judgment? Because this is a problem, a big problem that they had in being just and fair. And because of this problem of being just and fair, the wrath of God came upon Israel. Not just this. They were also going to serve other gods, but also because they, there was no justice in their community, the wrath of God came on Israel for their injustice. The wrath of God came on them for their indifference to the poor, for the widow, for the immigrant. But through Jesus, this wrath is now lifted. And not only does the gospel remove the wrath of God for our sin, But Ephesians also tells us that God has created a new man where there is no longer Jew or Gentile. But guess what? Peter was not living that way. And that's why Paul was was calling him out. Peter was not living as if he and his Gentile neighbor had been justified by the same Lord. He was not living as if him and his Gentile neighbor had access to God through the same spirit. See, in the gospel, We become new creatures. We become new people, kingdom people. And because we are children of God and kingdom people, we live with a kingdom ethic. That's very important, important. So anytime in this world, when we see this fallen world mysteriously championing or encouraging a kingdom ethic, such as the fair treatment of individuals or justice for communities throughout society, As believers, we should applaud it. We should encourage it. We should get behind it. Anytime there is talk of justice or true justice, we should be for it no matter who it's for. So believers, we cannot just dismiss the cries of our African-American brothers and sisters or our communities of colors as just some liberal agenda or some social issue that has nothing to do with the gospel. 
But at a minimum, we must listen. Just as James tells us to be quick to listen, least we become like the priest and the Levite in Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan who with their Bible and their tracts in their hand, just throwing that in there, walk around in justice. We, we cannot be so focused on, I need to go preach the gospel that I just walk around in justice and I just keep my head in the sand, but I have my Bible tracts with me. I have my Bibles with me. No, then we become like the Levite and the priest. We are Christians who care about justice. Why? Because God cares about justice. And so we should rejoice at what God is doing in the world through the death of George Floyd. Now, oh, I don't know what that was. Okay, Amazon. Now, the key word in my previous statement, well, first, let me, let me before I go to the next part, I just want to, the last point I just made, how we can't be the Levites and the priests, that's so vital because I haven't been on Facebook or YouTube, but I'm sure there's going to be sermons from others who's going to say, oh, this is distracting from the gospel. This is not a gospel issue. Just, just preach. Don't, don't worry about all of that. So those are some of the pitfalls you got to watch out for because there will be people who will try to preach and tell you that this is an issue that you should not even mind, that you should just work on verbally preaching the gospel, that justice issues don't matter. But I hope that over the years that I've preached here, from the justice series that I hope that I've made that clear and shown through God's word, that it's not something that we can just dismiss. That is something that is so vital that we must do. Now, I said in my previous statement that we should rejoice in what God is doing, what God is doing. Brothers and sisters, last week I read Romans chapter 3 verses 11 through 18. And I'm going to read it again because I really want you to see this and you'll see why I said that this is what God is doing. We should rejoice in what God is doing by bringing attention to these justice issues in the world. So I want to read to you again what I read last week, Romans chapter 3, verse 11 to 10. I want to show you something. And the reason I'm going here is because in Romans 3, I believe that the sinful nature of mankind is fully captured in these verses. So Romans chapter 3, I'm going to read verse 10 down to 18. The word of God reads, There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands there is none who seeks for God, even though he remember he made us to seek after him, but none, he says, seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they deceive. They keep deceiving. The poison of Alps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. In the paths of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So again, what Paul describes there is man's nature at his finest. That describes man's sinful, human, fallen nature. But here's the thing. When I read the verses that I just read here in Romans, verses 10 to 18, and I look at American society in the world, something doesn't add up. 
in my book. Because when, when I read Romans 3, 10 to 18, when I read that text, it tells me that society or America should look like the purge or the walking dead. And what I, when I say the purge, the purge is a movie about, I've only seen the trailer, but it's a movie about how um, this society allows, I think, for 24 hours. Some of you may have seen that, I'm not sure. There's no law, there's no order. You can just go, you can kill people, you can do whatever you want, you can just ransack stuff, you can still, for this period of time, the movie's called The Purge. I haven't seen it, I'm not saying I recommend it, but I'm just trying to give you, paint a picture here. Um, the Walking Dead, I haven't seen that either. I just, I've seen, I've heard about it, and I've seen, it's like zombies, I think it is. Um, but I, I've, I think I've seen clips of it where the world is like this apocalyptic, just end of times, Things are all destroyed, looking crazy. Um, when I read Romans 3, 10 to 11, that is how society should look. Because look what's how it describes man, blood in our, in our thoughts, in our mind, and, and anger, and, and evil, all of these types of evil, it, it shows you there in, in Romans 3, 10. But when I, when I look at society, all of this is not happening like this. Because of our sinful nature, society should look like the perch. It should look like uh, the walking dead, but it doesn't. And the reason that it doesn't is purely because of God's grace and mercy. It is by God's grace and mercy and power that he is not allowing the sinful nature of man to truly just run wild. Because if Romans 3, 10 to 11, if God just allowed that to go, our world, we would walk out of our house and we would just step over bodies. It would be just murders just always, all the time in the street, just crime everywhere. You would just be walking over bodies, walking over crime, walking over situations. But by God's grace and mercy, he, he by his power doesn't allow this total deprived sinful man of nature to just fully go and run his course like it could. Which is a news flash for some of us because no matter how bad you thought you were, how sinful you thought you were before coming to Christ, it's by God's grace and mercy that you were not worse. You could have been much worse. Why? Because guess what? The same sinful DNA that is in Timothy McVeigh, I think he was the Oklahoma City bomber, he just came to my mind, is in you. Ladies, the, the same sinful DNA in your flesh that is in that sinful lady who's selling her body along Watt Avenue or Stockton Boulevard, guess what, ladies? That is in you. And brothers, the same sinful DNA that is in that pedophile, that is in the Bernie Madoffs of the world, the Jeffrey Epsteins of the world, it is in you. It is just by God's grace and mercy that the nature described here in Romans 10 to 18 did not consume you like it did them. That's, that's, that's only God's grace and his mercy. See, we, we live in a fallen world. Guess what? Because we live in this fallen world with this sinful nature of, of Romans 10 to 11, guess what? There should be more George Floyds. There should be more Trayvon Martin shootings. There should be more Rodney King style beatings. There should be more MLK assassinations. Why? Because it's our nature. Read the text. 
It's our nature. So when we see a nation, when we see the world repenting, so to speak, when we see a nation going from this, this sinful nature or, or resisting their sinful nation na uh, nature and now caring for the needs of other communities or now thinking about the mistreatment of the black community or communities of colors, it is not because the world is progressing or evolving and getting better, but it is a work of grace in the hearts of men and women. So that's why I said we can rejoice in that. That is not man's natural nature to just wake up and say, oh, wow, I'm really caring about the black community now and mistreated communities. That, that's not our nature. You're going against your nature when it happens. And the only way that happens is by a work of God. That's the work of God's grace. Paul even said in Romans 7, 7, I, I was reading this. He says this, I would have not known about coveting if the law had not said you shall not covet. Paul is saying we are so sinful. I'm so sinful. I wouldn't even known I was coveted unless God's word had exposed that to me. See, we are so sinful that we don't even recognize how wrong we are, that we need God's law and his word. That's how bad we are. And so when we see society having a change of heart, when we see many Americans now really beginning to care about their black neighbor and human um, and, and, their, and their space of, of how they're living, it's, we cannot attribute that to human goodness. But that is a work of God's grace. That is a work of mercy. The fact that talks of justice are going out now. The fact that talks of equality are going out now. That is not produced by the natural sinful nature of men that is described in Romans 3. It is a work of God that he has allowed sinful men to come out of their slumber to do justice. That's all by the hand of God. Now here's the difference between the born again believer and the unregenerate when it comes to Romans 3 verse 11 through 18. The unregenerate is being woke, if you will. I'm going to use the popular term woke for a time or a particular purpose of God and will eventually go back to their ways. Just like God in the Old Testament used Cyrus. God allowed Cyrus to become woke or alive for a particular purpose of freeing Israel and allowing them to go back to Jerusalem to build up the temple. It was not because Cyrus had a, all of a sudden had a change of heart and felt compassion for Israel or he started to love the Israeli people. It wasn't because Cyrus Cyrus all of a sudden wanted to worship the true and living God. It was God by grace and mercy doing a work in Cyrus's heart for God's purposes. And if God is doing that right now in our society where he's waking people up and he's causing people to think about justice and he's causing people to think about fairness and equality, then that is something that we see in the scriptures and that is something that we should be thankful for. And praise God that he's doing this work in our world and in society. It's not us. We know that's a work of God that he's causing people who, you, you see the people in these marches, they're not all Bible-believing people. They are some atheists. They are some gay. They are some transgender. God is waking people up to say, hey, you should care about your black neighbor or your neighbor from communities of color that that's not because of them that's a work of God's grace it's not because they're good that's God doing it for his purposes that he has that goes way beyond us so that's for the unregenerate who is now doing these deeds who are now thinking about justice and fairness now when it comes to the believer when it comes to Romans 3 10 to 11 the Christian is not alive or awoke for a particular season but because Christ is alive in us, we are permanently woke. 
Not only that, because of the power of God that rests on us, which we looked at last week, we are not dominated by the sinful nature of Romans 3, 11 through 18. We are not dominated by it. Why? Because the power of God, as we discussed, rests upon us. Which means that Christians should be the most woke. When we say woke, that means socially aware people on the planet. Why? Because we are spiritually alive. We can see what is wrong in the world. We see the things that are going on. Which is why I, I love Dr. Eric Mason, who, who he's a pastor of Epiphany Church in Philadelphia. He wrote this book titled Woke Church. And the book was highly criticized by the evangelical right. And, um, the, but the book has its premises based off of Ephesians 5.14, which states this. Awake, O sleeper. Arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. That's why I said, Christians, we should be the most woke people on the planet. We should be the most socially aware people on the planet. Why? Because Christ has risen on us. We have new life. Our eyes are open. So we should be seeing these things differently. We should be out front. We should be out front on issues. It, it bothers me, as I mentioned before, that Black Lives Matter group, a group who doesn't even believe in the true living God, they believe in crazy things, but yet they are the advocate for the black community, saying that they care about black lives. Well, no, that's the church. We care about lives. Why? Because people are made in the image of God. That's our role. That's our job. But other groups have taken it on. And so that's bothersome, because oftentimes as a church, we have our head stuck in the sand. Not understanding we are called to be salt and light. Brothers and sisters, do you understand this? This is a very important point. That you and I, because of the times and the place which God has allowed us to live, that we can love our neighbor and correct injustices in our nation in a way that the early church could only dream of. They could only dream of. Not only that, we, we have more opportunity to be salt and light than just the Christians in North Korea. There's no freedom there. They can't even have the impact that they want there. Or, or even Christians in the Muslim countries. We have more opportunity than any other group in the world throughout history to bring the gospel and bring kingdom of God change in society than anyone. And if we look at the parable of the talents, which tells us, if, that, if the parable of the talents tells us anything about God's perspective on potential or opportunity, then we may be judged by the opportunity given us. Because we know how the parable of the talents went. The guy had the opportunity, but decided to do nothing with it, and he was scolded for it. We have great opportunity to do great things for the kingdom of God and in the kingdom of God. So what are you doing with your God-given opportunities? Opportunities. He's allowed you to live here during this time and place. What are you doing with that? How are you living? You're, you're, we are allowed to live in a country with freedoms and rights. So that's why you can say whatever you want about America, but it's, it's still the best thing there with the freedoms and the rights that we have. We live in a nation like that. We live in the most technologically advanced nation ever. We live in the richest nation ever to exist. Through protests or through political life, you and I can bring justice to others and bring kingdom of God ethics. So what are you doing with your opportunity? How are you using this opportunity to impact the least of these? How are you using your opportunity to impact the immigrant, the widow, the orphan, the people in marginalized communities. God has placed us during this particular time. What are you doing with those opportunities? Are you doing, as Isaiah said, are you doing justice? Are you seeking the good of others? 
So you must examine yourself, seriously. How am I using these opportunities that, that God has given me? Am I using it only simply just to share the gospel? Or am I also using it to share the gospel and to do good and bring justice in the world? You must examine yourself, my brothers and sisters, the times and the places at which we live. I also want to challenge you to examine yourself on the sin that nobody seems to have, which is the sin of partiality and racism and prejudice. Nobody seems to say that they have this in them. Particularly with Christians, we love to quote Galatians 3.28 out of context and say, I don't see color. But Paul also stated in that same text that there is neither male nor female. Does that mean you no longer see gender? Do you just see a blob in front of you that is genderless and raceless? No, that's not Paul's point in making that statement. His point in making that statement is that it is only through the sufficiency of Christ that we are made right with God and that we become heirs with Christ through him, that we become children of God through Christ, so we put on Christ. That's his point, not to say, oh, I don't see color or race. Yes, we see color. Yes, we see race. Yes, we see gender. And guess what? We say, God, it is beautiful. What you made is marvelous. We don't ignore it like it's not there. We praise God for the beauty of it. We don't ignore it. So brothers and sisters, we have to examine ourselves. We don't give ourselves the Galatians 3.28 excuse, which Christians sometimes will try to use as a trump card to end all racial uh, discussions. We don't assume that there's no sin of partiality inside of us. Why? Because we know that sin and racism, guess what? It's baked right into the DNA of our fallen flesh. So we can't say, oh, it's just, there's no ounce in me. What we should say is I'm killing that thing, that whatever ounce of impartiality inside of me, I am killing that thing. We don't go and assume that we just have nothing there. See, as humans, we often try to justify ourselves by comparing ourselves to extreme sinful behaviors. For example, even when we're going out and we're sharing the gospel, right? A person, we'll, we'll be talking to a person and um, we'll say, why do you believe you're going to heaven? They'll say, I'm a good person. And why do they believe they're a good person? Because, oh, I'm not out raping, I'm not out robbing, I'm not out there stealing, I'm taking care of my family. What do they do? People compare themselves to what? An extreme. And because they are not like that extreme, they think that they are good. We do the same thing with racism. We say, oh, I voted for Obama, some people may say, or, oh, I have a black friend, or, or, or oh, I'm not like this skinhead over here. I'm not like this racist over here that's just out there running around with a confederate flag and so so we say because i'm not that there is no racism in me but again because the sin of partiality is baked into our flesh you have to constantly examine yourself and put that sin to death along with all other sins or guess what it will dominate you so my brothers and sisters i'm encouraging you to examine yourself don't assume that you are exempt that this sin does not fall in you. I, if I'm going to be perfectly honest, I felt prejudice against pe my pe other black people. And so I, to say that there's nothing inside of me that I just, I'm perfectly pure in this area that I've already arrived, it's just, I don't know if we're being really honest with ourselves. Nobody seems to have this problem, but yet we know it exists. We therefore have to really examine ourselves with this sin and any other sin. 
We need to step back and see, whoa, God is doing something in the world. He's got people talking about justice. We can go and talk about justice, and now we can maybe even go bring the gospel to this because this seems to be on everybody's mind. Let's see, whoa, God, you're doing something amazing. Just like when God allowed slavery to come to an end, that was the work of God. He chose it at his time to use Wilberforce and all the abolitionists at that time and purpose. That's God's grace and mercy. Why he did it in that time, that goes beyond me. But God is smarter than you and I. So if God is doing that now in our nation like he did with slavery, like he did with women's rights to make people alive, to realize justice and equity and, and, and fairness, then let's praise God for that. Let's not put our heads in the sand, but let's examine ourselves to see how we can be a light in this world. And let's champion whatever, if the world is saying justice and equality and fairness, and we know that's a kingdom ethic, we're saying, amen. Yes, we should be fair. That's something that we don't want to politicize. It's scripture. It's Bible. We are called to be just. We're called to be salt and light. So my brothers and sisters, please be quick to listen. Some of the stories that I've shared, guess what? It's not going to make it into your st statistic book. The incidents and the run-ins that I've had with police, that's not going to make it into the book. People, I know, it's just not. So you've got to understand, yes, some stuff people may be exaggerating. I agree. But it's a lot of hurt and pain out there. It's the truth. People are dealing with it. And it hurts, especially when you go to your brother or sister and you're telling them and it's just dismissed as a political thing. We're just dismissing people's experience and feelings. So I'm telling you this so that you don't be that guy. You know, don't be that guy. Don't be that Christian that dismisses it, but recognizes, no, this is a person made in the image of God with hurt and pain, and they've experienced these things. Let me listen. Let me learn. Then I can maybe give my, my two cents, my two piece. So I hope that you can hear my heart in this. I hope that the scripture, that you will really consider them, and consider your role in what's happening right now in our society. And see it as, man, this, this is a good thing if God is doing this. Anytime a Christian gets a win in society, that's a good thing. That's God's grace and mercy because we know we live in a fallen world where that really shouldn't be happening. So when we get wins, praise God for that. That's a work of grace. Amen. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for my brothers and sisters here. God, I pray that you challenge us all with your word to really examine ourselves for areas that we may feel that we've just arrived and overcome. God, that we always stay humble, clinging to you, looking to your word, knowing that outside of you, we can't make it. God, I thank you for for this moment, Lord, that you're bringing people across the world. You're bringing thoughts of fairness and justice, right treatment. Thank you, God, for allowing us to see such a time. We know the sinful nature of man can't produce this, so we thank you, God. Help us, the church, God, understand more how we could get on board with what you're doing how to push your agenda, the kingdom agenda, more in our lives, in society, so that ultimately you will be glorified.
So God, glorify yourself in the situation that is happening today, Lord, in this world, in this country. Draw hearts to yourself, Lord God. Make people not only think about the justice for the African American community, but judgment and justice that will be served on that day. Make people think about when they stand before God, how will they fare? Do a mighty work, Lord God, through your word and through your people. In Jesus' name, amen.